Would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1? We're going to read just a few verses this morning, 1 through 5. I turned to Peter this morning because of the, he's known as the Apostle of Hope. And in our society today, in the culture we live in, it's easy to start losing hope with some of the things we see happening, the attacks we are under as Christians, as believers in Christ, the harassment that some are receiving. In other parts of the world, brothers and sisters together are suffering great persecution for the faith. And one of the problems with uh, maintaining this walk with the Lord in that is the requirement that we need to be looking to the faithfulness of God as you read in that psalm. That he is faithful in our afflictions. And Peter actually is going to address this problem that New Testament believers had of the suffering they were under. And when you read through Peter, that's one of the things that jumps out. The suffering. The motif of holiness jumps out. The motif of, of the glory of Christ And so it seems very applicable in our time due to the fact that we are in a world now that seeks to secularize everything. Religion is out. Matter of fact, for you people who go down to Walt Disney World, there's no church on Main Street, Walt Disney World. It's left out. Don't want to bring any idea of religion into that concept. Downton Abbey fans, hate to tell you this, it's historically accurate. It's inaccurate because the historian consultants they talked to, the producers and executives of that movie said, nothing about religion, please. We don't want anything. We want to we secularize it. So you and I don't really get an idea of all some of the other documentaries and things we see. They secularize it so you don't understand how strong the Christian faith really has been involved down through history. Then on the other side of the coin, we have the pluralization today. That says all religions are the same and we want to rejoice in all the minority religions and everybody's equal. There can't be one more emphasized. And so we live in a secularized, pluralized society trying to figure out how do we stay as witnesses of Christ. Jesus, before he had descended into heaven, in reading book Acts chapter 1, he says to the disciples, you shall be my witnesses here, there, everywhere. He didn't say, you maybe you're my witnesses. Think about being my witnesses. He makes a declaration that you and I are his witnesses to his glorious work of salvation, to the praise of the Father. He said, you're light. You're salt. You're an aroma. It's just who you are now. And Peter says, I've got to remind you, speaking to his audience, a thousand miles away from him. Peter's being the great shepherd that he, Jesus said, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to tend my sheep. You knew what it's like to have your faith fail. I've restored you, and now I want you to continue to minister the gospel to my people. So first Peter, as we even open up the book, he introduces himself. Let's read it. Peter. An apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We're going to stop there because 3 to 12 is actually one sentence. And it's like, where do you stop reading one sentence? So I picked this because I don't think I have enough time to get through everything. I was reading about mountain climbers not recently. I mean, a guy went up the Mount Everest and he was telling about his adventure. And he asked the audience, he said, do you know when the mountain climbers get the most discouraged and depressed? And there were a number of answers given out among the audience. He found most of them were incorrect. He said, the time that people climbing the mountain get the most discouraged and even go into depression is when they can't see the peak, when they can't see the goal they're after. And this is what's happened as Peter's writing to these believers in Christ who are in northern Turkey. It would be modern-day northern Turkey. Now, Paul stayed down on the southern side with all his missionary journey, but you find Paul and Peter in Galatia. So Paul, Peter must have somehow got connected to the Christians moving up that direction. He uses a terminology of dispersion, dysphoria. That's something the Jews experienced back in 556. 560, 67 A.B.C. When the Babylonians came in and took them into exile. And in essence, they had been in exile and they stayed there for 70 years and then some came back, but most of them stayed there. So he's using a terminology that recognizes that now you are a people of God and you've been dispersed by God throughout all the earth for a particular reason, and that reason is the same as it was in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 43.10, he says, You shall be my witnesses. I've chosen you. I've placed you. I, I want you to witness for me. It gets hard, though, doesn't it? Being a witness for Christ often now is harassment. You might even lose a job opportunity if they let know you're a Christian. Well, that was happening to your brothers and sisters back here. And we assume it's probably somewhere in 60 A.D. to 62 A.D. Because in 64 is when Nero set Rome on fire. And Christians were blamed for it. And they ended up being persecuted and burned at the stake. And the list goes on, the horror they had to endure. But there was already rumblings going on of a storm coming. Clouds arriving where they're being persecuted. You couldn't do business in the Roman citizenship, if you weren't going to offer a emperor worship a tribute. A lot of you are businessmen and businesswomen out there. How would you like every time you went to go do business in the market, you had to go to a special room and bow before an idol and offer a tribute to it? This is what they were facing. To be able to have, we, they are a minority. And then the past 
we probably had a great cultural influence, but now that is dissipated due to the secularization and the pluralization of our nation. You and I are a minority. Nothing in Scripture says just because you're a minority, stop being my witness. Matter of fact, as I read through Peter, he doesn't even say, pray that this stops. He, he, he just keeps going. Let me give you a revival is what he's saying. You need a renewal to know what your identity is in regards to the world and in regards to God. And he's doing the very thing he's exhorting them to do, he is doing in this letter. He exalts God. He, he pushes us back to worship. When you're worshiping, you're not really thinking about much else than the object of your worship. You sure get your own mind off ourselves. You get it on him. Some of y'all familiar down the road is the United Methodist campground. Any of y'all ever visited campgrounds in your life where every year, yeah, they, they have revival services, renewal services. That was quite common when I was growing up, especially to see the revival tents go up. And then I can remember my mother, grandmother's primitive Baptist church I'd go to as a boy. They'd have these revival services. I loved that food. It was the best food. Well, I, what I probably wasn't ready as a 10-year-old boy was one preacher after another preacher after another preacher would get up and preach. Man, I would just be tired out. My grandfather had it figured out, though, and his buddy Horace, they'd sit next to each other. Horace was blind, so he had glasses. Big old thick, dark glasses. You couldn't tell that Horace was asleep. He'd just sit there. My granddaddy, though, his head would go back. And his mouth would drop. Everybody knew Granddaddy Paul was asleep. But he still was a witness. Maybe he wasn't being really strong in that moment. But he went to that revival. He went to church. You're a witness this morning. Your neighbors saw you leave. And I've got a pluralistic neighborhood. How about you? I've got some secular people in that neighborhood too. Now, that's a religion. We know it. They don't understand that, but we know it is. They saw me leave. You and I live a witness every day. And these people are losing some hope. They're losing, they need some encouragement. So he says, I want to remind you a few things. You are, let me just be honest with you, you're in exile. This is not your home. Excuse me. What's this quote? I got a quote over here. I love this one. I found it years ago. If you find yourself with a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that you were made for another world. C.S. Lewis. This world's not meant to satisfy you or me. It's meant to leave us wanting. That song of Psalm 23, I will not be wanting. When the focus is on the Lord, the wanting leaves and the worship begins. And this is what he's having to remind these believers. I know you're being frustrated. I know you're being picked on. It's all through here. But I want you to identify with the world as you're in exile. This is not your home. You have a different cultural mindset. You have a different ethic. You have different moral values. You have a different worldview. You are different. The old King James would call you peculiar. 
Peculiar was, and we have a different understanding of the word peculiar, but the old King James English was, peculiar meant someone or something belonged to someone special. It was peculiar to them. It's theirs. He says, you and I are his chosen possession. And we are called to declare the excellencies of our Savior. To declare it through a lifestyle that is different than the culture you live in. To declare it with the way you raise your children is different than the culture you live in. And you and I, by Scripture, need this encouragement on a constant basis. And he begins to explain. Let me take you into some theological thinking, he says. I need to help you get your theological thinking going on. And here he tells us about you are an elect exile. You're God's chosen exile. Just as he chose to, in the Old Testament his people, just as he chose Christ to be the redeemer and savior of his people, he has chosen us to be in Christ. According to his foreknowledge, if you're foreknown, you're foreloved, that word means. He loved you in eternity past. And he set his love on you to make you his forever. We could spend a whole sermon on this one. Or maybe write a book like some people do. It's a lot there to discuss of how God initiates everything regarding our salvation. And how he keeps us. I love the word. He talked about the perseverance of the saints. And he's going to get to that a little bit. I like to call it the preservation of the saints. He preserves us. He keeps us. And he says that later. You and I have been sanctified by the Spirit. The Spirit's been as a sign and seal of our election. You know you're one of God's people because the Spirit said so. And he shows you in the word all the truths about that truth. The Spirit comes alongside and says, yes, you are. And Spirit speaks to Spirit. I do have a disagreement with ESV here when we get to the obedience to Jesus Christ for obedience. He's, he makes it imply that it's our obedience here. The Greek doesn't say that. He took, ESV changes the order just a little bit. In the Obedience and the sprinkling of the blood is Christ's obedience. Christ's sprinkling of blood. That really encourages me. Because it's Christ's obedience I'm leaning on to. That's what I'm holding on to, not mine. That somehow my obedience is going to make a difference? No way. I'm not even that good at it. Nobody has to say amen, especially my wife or my children. No, ladies and gentlemen, the word of God says you are in the court. You've been elected by God into the obedience of Christ, into the blood shed for you in Christ. His life. His perfect, obedient life is applied to you. The blood, the death of Christ is applied to you by the Spirit. We have the Trinity right here, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, all involved in our salvation. Now, you need to go sit on a bench somewhere and contemplate this. This needs to drive deep in deep, deep places in our heart. 
How else will you stand against the onslaught that's coming? That's what Peter said. An onslaught's coming. Be prepared, people. It's just a matter of time before Nero makes his edict of persecution. And it's just a matter of time for the next emperor puts out his edict of persecution. And then in 20, 200 years, 215 or something, more because the Christians no longer under the umbrella of the Jewish religion that was tolerated. And some of the persecution is coming from the Jews themselves. Do you think we're in any less hazardous situation today? Churches are going to soon be, uh, you'll see it coming one day when churches will be taxed. Right now, churches aren't attacked. Not organiz religious organizations are free from that. Don't be surprised when that happens. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when other attacks come. The one that is probably doing more damage right now to churches is they've lost sight of their goal. Their goal is to declare the excellencies of Jesus Christ. Years ago, social justice issue came out, or social mercies. That was what churches needed to do. Now it's social justice. They don't take the gospel out anymore. I can remember being involved with a church association in one particular town, and they wanted a clothes closet and a food closet. I said, let's do it. Jumped on board with them. It came time to give out all the, I said, let's put some tracts. Let's put some Bible stuff to give in these boxes and these bags. They said, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. Why not? Didn't have a good answer. We just want to be known as somebody who's doing good things for good people, for people in need. That's not enough. That's not enough. If you separate the message of the gospel from the good deed, it doesn't accomplish anything. It does do one other thing, though, I thought about. It does give you an opportunity as a believer to bear witness. I've thought about this in the passage Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. I'm like, Lord, why do we always have poor? There, I heard a commercial this morning, this uh, cancer society. It's wonderful work they're doing. But we, they said, we're going we're gonna to be in business until cancer doesn't kill another child. Well, that's heaven, y'all. It's not, and Peter said, don't, don't go away from society. Don't go away from the culture. Invest in it. Don't go hide in the corner from it. But I'm thinking back to the poor. God is saying, I'm giving you, a believer, an opportunity to witness through your giving. You need these opportunities, he says, to give demonstration of what you believe. I don't give to the poor to get rid of their poverty. I've given to the poor to express the Lord's love for them and the joy of being one of his people. That's a big difference. My goal's different. The people of God's joy is serving this powerful king of kings and declaring his excellencies. Now watch what he does. He jumps right into it. 
He goes, blessed in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as he talks about the relationship to the world, the relationship to God, he does the very thing he's exhorting them to do is let's declare his praises. Thank you for joining me this morning in declaring the praises of God. Taking his word, his own written word to declare who he is and how he deserves to be exalted above all nations. I mean, that's just natural for the people who know him. It's natural for you to want to worship. So he goes on and says it's because of God's great mercy that he gives us some mercies and graces and one of them is to be born again. Second one's a living hope. The third one's an inheritance. He spends a little time talking about those. Born again. A believer is born again, reminding you again it's not something you accomplished or you did. It was a work of the Father through the Son, by the Spirit. Which of you would have ever conceived of being born again? That that's how you're going to fix your problem. You and I both know it doesn't come from this world. It had to come from outside the world. And we sit in amazement to be born again. What in the world do you mean by that? We join Nicodemus in questioning him. How is that possible? In man, it's not possible. But you and I now bear witness as believers that this birth has taken place. We just celebrated the birth of Christ, miraculous as it is. So is your birth. Your new birth is just as miraculous. It took the work of the Spirit to produce the seed in you that came to fruition. When you heard the gospel call to come to Jesus, you came in obedience. That's, you didn't do that. I didn't do that. I might have experienced it, but he started it. He initiated it. He chased me down. and said, you're mine. I've chosen you. And I've chosen you for a purpose and a design to declare me. And your greatest joy is going to be doing that. That's not what the world's greatest joy is. Greatest joy is getting that, that new Hellcat scrapjack car with a big powerful engine. Or, or get you one of, a big old house. Or, well, I was reading about, did you read about that guy in China? He built a house as an island. I think it's almost 7,000 square feet. It floats in the sea. He wanted to be away from people. It served him well, he said, during COVID. He's, he's got like 16 anchors holding it in. And he, he had to build it on the water because it was so large. Then, is that your idea of making it in this world? The Lord says, I got a place in heaven that makes that look like a piece of pea. A little piece of sand. I've got a mansion in heaven for you people. I've got a place that this makes this. Nothing you can imagine in this world comes close to what I've got for you. And anything you leave behind, it doesn't even come close to what's waiting for you. See, these are the witnesses we have. Did I tell you? Oh, yeah, I told you I won't go into that one. 
He keeps going, though. He doesn't leave us. This is one of the, we're born again, spirits working in us. You have a living hope. Because Christ is living, you have a living hope. You get this? The hope isn't just heaven. That's included. There's crowns in heaven. That's included. The hope is Christ. It, it, it's, have you heard that song, If I Go to Heaven and Christ's Not There? I want to see Jesus. All that other stuff be nice, but if he's not there... Is it really heaven? No, he's saying, no, I, your living hope is Christ. He's the one that's doing the work. He's the one that's praying for us. That last song we're going to close, close is before the throne of God. We have an advocate praying for us, lifting us up before the Father, in our, especially in times of trials. Let's get one more in here, the inheritance. So he's looked at the past, got new birth. He looked at the future. And now he's going to look at the present. You have this inheritance already. You have eternal life in Christ. You have it in your back pocket, if you will. It's like he wrote a check, eternal life. All you got to do is cash it. You got it. You don't have to cash it yet. Reality is you already are possessing it because you have the spirit of life in you. You're not waiting to die to have eternal life. You get this? You and I have life of Christ now. And part of learning, he's going to work on this later. The first part is just to renew their faith. And then he's going to move to the latter part of the, going on almost two, three chapters of exhortation of how to maintain that faith. And right now he's wanting us to grasp the theological concepts, how massive and powerful and majestic God is, and all the mercies and grace he's been pouring out to us. This is what he's wanting us to grasp. Our salvation is secure. It's secure in Fort Knox, Kentucky. That's where our billions and millions of dollars are. Gold bars. That thing is so secure. They don't, it's, part of their security is it's secret. People don't really know what's all there. They know there's like two or three fences. They know there's some laser guns. They know there's some supposedly a minefield between one of the fences. They know there's a 22-ton door just to get in the safe. That at least 10 different people have the combinations to, so they only have one piece. They know that Fort Knox base, army base is right there with 30,000 troops with Apache helicopters, tanks, and you name all the other weaponry they have. So if you could even be a gold finger and get close to the place, you're not going to get out of there alive unless you dress up like Goldfinger. The reality is your salvation is more secure than anything like that. It's secure because the king of kings, the holy warrior, has come and defeated the evil one. He has stomped death on his face and said, I reign, and all those are mine will reign with me, and I'm coming back again. Yes, I am. And I'm going to set my kingdom up in its fullness. Until then, keep living for me, for my glory. Keep Witnessing for me, displaying your faith and your hope in me. This world is not worth it. He is. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. You keep us safe and secure in Christ. Thank you that our inheritance is solid rock. Nothing can defile it. Nothing can take it away. Nothing can damage it. 
and it's kept by your power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power now at work in us. To you be praise and glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.